Well, on your seat this morning, you received a new uh, Bible reading plan, and I'm excited about our Bible reading plan. It's for Easter. It is a Holy Week plan. I better not step on eternal death. Let's move eternal death over there. Um, and that reading plan is great. I hope you've been enjoying our reading plans. I certainly have. Uh, I'm having a great time just reading God's word and have been even convicted by several things in our reading, and that's a good thing. Amen? And so you received this little bookmark right here. Looks like that. And it's on your seat. Or you can also go onto our website, and there is a digital PDF of this. So if you'd like it in digital form, you can find it that way as well. That's great. Um, I wanted to tell you something, just, just a little illustration about why reading God's word is so important. There's something about you and I um, in the secret of our home or maybe an office or a room or maybe your break room at work where you say, I'm going to read the two chapters every day. There's something about how that makes us strong. And I hope you understand that. That when we, we read God's word, and I'm going to say this, even if you don't understand it, even if you're not fully comprehending what you're reading at the time, it's God's word, and it will find life in you at some point. Let me give you an example of this. Um, most of you know I love sport, and I love, I love all sports. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge March Madness guy, right? So I love March Madness. It was great to see Eastern in the tournament, even though they lost yesterday. I loved, they played well. I loved it. Loved seeing Gonzaga come out of the gate strong. But I also, I love the college wrestling championship. There's just something about it that um, I just really connect with. And one of the things that happened on Friday and Saturday reminded me of our Bible reading plans. On Friday, I was watching, and there's a young man from Oklahoma State who's a freshman, He's 18 years old, and he is full man. Let me just put it that way. And on Friday night, he won his quarterfinal match. And after you win your match, you come to the microphone and, and, and talk to the guy on ESPN for a minute and just tell him what you did. And I remember the kids saying Friday night, and he's a freshman, by the way. You know, freshmen aren't supposed to win national championships in wrestling. That's just not the way it goes. Because as a senior, when you're 22, you got a bigger body, and you're awesomer, and you're better, and you just should be better, right? Well, this kid says in the microphone, the guy asked him, what do you think helps you get as far as you got? And he said, man, I'm just putting in the work. And I thought, that's what reading the Bible's like, putting in the work. And then he said this, I deadlift 650 pounds. And I went, holy mackerel. He's really putting in the work. And when I heard him say this, I said to myself, he's going to win the championship tomorrow. And here's why. He's putting in the work. Do you know why that kid sees victory? Because he reads his Bible. That kid saw victory because he put in the work. And I'm going to tell you this morning, we see victory as believers when we put in the work and the work starts here. Because when we read God's word, the Holy Spirit can speak to us out of his word and out of his, the specific voice of God in our ear and in our spirit. And so I want to encourage you, the plans that we are, are, are doing and preparing for you, let's take advantage of them. This one is great. This one starts next Sunday. It's designed for Holy Week. 
We're going to read about the death and resurrection in every gospel for that week coming up to Easter. So it'll be a great opportunity for you to just get your heart and your mind set on the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. I'm excited to do that together. All right, grab your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 2, and I want to finish out our series that we've been in called Intentional. Intentional. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Someone else said, I have so much to do today that I need to sleep in longer. Which one sounds intentional? Have you ever said the second one? Admit it, it's okay, I have. We're in a series called Intentional, and today I want to talk about being intentional with our time. Last time we talked about being intentional with our resources talked about being intentional with our relationships and our families. I want to talk about being intentional with our time. We all have time. But what's great about time is time is, it's not discriminatory. We all have the same amount of time, but I want to encourage you this morning to use your time intentionally, and specifically to use your time intentionally for Jesus. Now, the American lifestyle, I'm convinced, and you probably are today, that it's very busy. Have you noticed that? That as an American people, as a structure of how we do life, we do life in a busy manner. We kind of do life fast and furious, and we, that's kind of the culture that we live in. Therefore, we are encouraged to use our time intentionally. But I want to show you this morning from God's word in Acts chapter two, that the believers, not only did they use their time intentionally, they actually changed the structure of their entire week and their entire day to follow Christ. So join me in Acts chapter two, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, could you turn to your neighbor and just say every day? Go ahead. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I don't know about you, but what I see in these verses is intentionality. I see a people, New Testament believers, that have chosen to live their lives intentionally for Jesus. And they did some things on purpose. These New Testament believers decided to change the way they spent their time. 
and they decided to give their time and to devote their time to four things. And the four things were teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread or communion, and prayer. These four things are what they wrapped their life around. And I am guessing and supposing like you that they probably said no to certain things in the day to start saying yes to those four things. And I think you and I, if we're going to become intentional with our time, we will need to do the same thing. Because the American lifestyle, as we've already mentioned, is not structured to include Jesus, is it? It's, it's meant to leave Jesus out of everything. That's, and we see more and more of that happening all the time in our culture. That means that as believers, we're going to have to become intentional about our time. Now, the great part is we are free and we can still use our time how we want. Amen? That's an awesome thing that we have living in America. We can actually change our time and rearrange things in our life to focus on Christ. I'm, I'm encouraged that after these believers said yes to Jesus, they devoted themselves to Christ. And each of us will need to do the same thing. Now, this won't happen naturally, will it? It won't happen through osmosis. You won't say, before I go to bed, I'm going to repeat these four things. And then when I wake up in the morning, I, I, I'm, I'm going to perfectly use these things intentionally. It doesn't work that way. You have to contend and fight to make these things a part of your life. And I will contend that if you don't intentionally address these areas of your life, our culture will suck them out of your life. Our culture will fill our lives with other things instead of these things that we see in Scripture. And before we know it, we will be a very mediocre Christian, a very casual Christian, and we probably won't see much victory in our life and we'll often wonder, why, why do I always struggle with Jesus? It's because I'm not intentionally seeking him. So I want to look at these four things and intentionally see how we can change our time to allow these changes in our life. The first one is teaching. Teaching. Now, interestingly, if we put it in the context of the New Testament, right here in this verse, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, that meant something totally different then than it does now. When a New Testament Christian in in Acts chapter 2, 2,000 years ago, wanted to receive teaching, they had to go to wherever the teacher was. They had to go into the temple and sit down and listen to their teacher, to listen to the apostles. And that's because they didn't have a Bible of their own. And so you and I can look at this and say what? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much that I have my own Bible and I can read it in my own language and understand it. Thank you, Lord. This is an enormous blessing. In fact, this is the, one of the greatest blessings in your entire life. The Word of God in written form that you and I can read daily. They didn't have that. 
So they had to go to the temple. Now, this is where I believe you and I have an enormous advantage as a Christian living in the modern age. Because we have so many advantages with the word of God. And we can listen to all kinds of good biblical teaching throughout the day. You can jump on our website and listen to any of our past sermons. And you can get good teaching, especially when you listen to Pastor Kate and Pastor Cooper. You can, you, we have radio stations and podcasts and YouTube videos and Instagram posts and tweets and all of this to encourage uh, uh, the, God's word in our life. You can listen to the audio Bible. You can just listen to the Bible in audio form, read to you by some of the greatest orators of our day. Right? We can read our own Bible in the morning, on your lunch break, at night, with your kids, with your spouse, in bed while you're falling asleep, anytime, anywhere. You can pull out your phone. I have a Bible app on my phone. I can read the Bible anytime I want. Man, that's awesome. This is why, by the way, we take time as a staff to prepare Bible plans like this so that you and I are getting the word deep in our hearts and our lives. I hope you're reading God's word every day. My prayer for you is that you're letting the Holy Spirit transform your thinking based on God's word instead of listening to the philosophies of this world. I trust you're letting God's word cut through bone and marrow straight to your heart and penetrate you and lead you through life's challenges teaching. We need good Bible teaching. And I want to encourage you to make it a part of your everyday life. Next, fellowship. And I'm going to camp here for a minute because I think this is one of our hardest. But the second way we use our time intentionally is fellowship. Now, we, we don't use the word fellowship much anymore. We use the word relationships. It means the same thing. The concept is we're hanging out together as believers and we're being encouraged by one another. We're reading God's word together. We're uh, praying together. We're sharing a meal together. Those are the things we see modeled here in Acts chapter 2 and throughout the rest of the New Testament. But over and over again, what we see is the believers in fellowship and in relationship together. Now, did you notice the intentionality that they were giving to relationships in these verses. Let me show you verse 44 and verse 46. And I want you to notice three times one word is used. I want you to see if you can pick it out. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Did you notice what word was used three times? Together. Together. The word together here is an understanding that they were in relationship. They were in fellowship. They were doing life together. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you ever sit in church and say to yourself, if Pastor Mark asks me to get involved in a relational environment one more time, 
I might send him a nasty email. If he tells me that I need to get in a rooted experience or I need to go to a life team one more time, pow, to the moon. I'm telling you right now. Do you want to know why we tell you all the time that you need to be in a relational environment? Because it's biblical. It's how we grow. Did you notice that Jesus had a small group? Did you notice that? Jesus had a small group. Are you in one? Jesus felt like he needed one. What makes you think you don't need one? Jesus was in a relational environment with 12 numbskulls who didn't know a thing. And yeah, that's right. And one guy that was going to betray him. See, when we, when we talk about relational environments at CFC, I, I want to share something with you. We don't mean sitting next to each other and listening to a teaching from the Bible. Now, is that important? Absolutely. But that's not what we mean by a relational environment. What we mean is sharing and doing life together. We mean becoming really, really good friends. And who doesn't need more of that? We mean praying together, laughing together, crying together, studying God's word together, eating a meal together, serving together. See, being intentional about relationships in the church means your closest friends are believers. Your deepest and richest relationships are with those that share the salvation of Christ and the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is what we need. Being intentional about fellowship means the one another verses. Have you ever seen this in, in the New Testament? Over and over and over again, every single writer in the New Testament uses this phrase, one another. One another. And their implication is that you are doing life together with one another. But the writers of the New Testament and the Holy Spirit knows, like we all do, that relationships can be messy, right? Amen. I mean, relationships can be tough and hard, and sometimes they're great and awesome and easy, and sometimes they're difficult and hard. And so the writers said all kinds of things. Like in Romans 12, 16, they said, live in harmony with one another. Romans 15, 7, they said, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you. Romans 16, 16, a new habit that we're going to start in our church. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That was a Christian joke, people. You, you can laugh in church. You can laugh in church. It's okay. Now, like this isn't a part of the American culture, right? So we're not going to do this one very well. Let's just be honest, okay? But here's what I want to point out, okay? What does it require for me to kiss someone? I have to be in their presence face to face. That's the point. The, we should be in relationship with one another face to face. There should, there should also be physical, there should be physical things that we do, hugs and handshakes and fist pumps, and we take our masks off and just have fun together, right? Amen? Anybody up for that? 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, encourage one another. 
Be of one mind. Live in peace. Ephesians 4.2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Now, let me point out something. You only have to be patient with someone and bear with someone if you're choosing to be in relationship with that person. If you choose to just say, ah, I don't want to be patient and bear with that person anymore. I'm just going to go to another church. Then you'll always miss out on the deep, rich, powerful relationships that we need in the local church. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now here's another interesting one. The only reason I need to forgive someone is if I'm going to choose to continue to be in relationship with them. And why do you need to forgive me and why do I need to forgive you? Because we often hurt each other. But we say, just because I hurt you doesn't mean I'm not going to be in relationship with you anymore. I'm going to forgive you. You're going to forgive me because there are going to be times where we're going to walk in our sin and we're going to be rude. We're going to be mean. We're going to say things you don't like. I mean, some of you in this room, you think I'm rude all the time because I tell you your Seahawks stink. (laughs) It's true. You just haven't realized the reality of that yet. I'm just trying to give you truth all the time. And I admit that my team stinks too. It's just reality. Got to get over it. But we say things that are rude. We do things that are mean. Sometimes we sin against one another. And it doesn't mean we leave. It means we press into the relationship and we choose to forgive and we choose to be in a relationship with one another. That's what the body of Christ does. James 5.9 says, don't grumble against one another. Can I just stop here for a minute? Have you noticed that the grumbling quotient has gone up during COVID? Holy mackerel. It's like busted the thermometer, hasn't it? Oh, man. Can I encourage you? Because you're going to see this a lot. James 4.11, by the way, the chapter before, said, brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. In 1 Peter 4.9, he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is a big deal in the New Testament. It's a big deal because we often, in our sinful ways, we grumble. And that's not good. And so I want to encourage you, guard yourself against, guard your own mouth from grumbling about, against someone else, but also guard your ears about being a person that listens to grumbling. Some of us haven't worked out our, our grumbler yet, and we're getting better at it, but some of us grumble more than others, and we'll work on, you can work on your grumbling, but in the meantime, We need to help each other and say, I don't want to listen to your grumbling. Right? Here's what I've learned. Grumbling causes division, causes hurt relationships, causes brokenness, and often ruins the unity of local churches. Let's not be grumblers. Amen? We see in these one another verses all throughout the New Testament that they're doing relationship together. Here's what I've concluded. Every single one of us needs to become intentional about fellowship. It's extremely biblical. It's extremely important. And our relationships in the local church need to become something we are a part of on purpose. That we are choosing on purpose to be in relationship. Now, let me talk about one more thing and then we'll move on. 
The way we do church in America is not always necessarily relationally structured. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that we, at Cheney Faith Center, we've endeavored to try to change that some, best we can. What that means is the church in America is, is often educationally structured. And that means on Sunday morning, we come together, but it's not primarily to connect with one another. It's primarily to connect with God through worship and listen to an order, preach the word. And so it's based on teaching. But I want you to notice something in the text in Acts chapter 2. There were moments where they were observing an educational style of structure and listening to someone teach the word, but there were also moments where they were observing relational structure. In the very next verse, it says what? In their homes. Now they're not in the public place where there's teaching. Now they're what? Now they're in their homes and they're eating together. They're breaking bread together, which means they were, doing, they were taking communion in their homes, not necessarily during the time of teaching, maybe both, but they were glad and they were happy and they were praising God. See, both are happening at the same time. Now, in their context, how often did they do that? Every day. Every day. Here's what I've discovered. They changed the structure of their lives on the outside because the Holy Spirit was changing their lives on the inside. They changed everything about their life. I'm convinced that you and I need to become intentional like this as well. That we will need to say no to certain things to say yes to the things God has for us. That's what it means to be intentional. The third thing that needs to be intentional with our time is breaking of bread. Now this term breaking of bread comes from the moment where Jesus broke bread the very first time and said to the disciples, this is my body. And he took a cup filled with wine and he said, this is my blood. So what the New Testament writers are talking about when they talk about breaking of bread, they're talking about celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, it says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I think this one got to me a little bit more than maybe the other three. Like the other three are kind of like always in my mind and heart as a pastor. Like, yeah, that's, we got to be doing those things. You know, we got to be praying and we got to be teaching and we got to be doing relationships. And then I got to this one and I'm like, wait a second. They had communion every day. Interesting. And it's always a challenge for me because I never want anything to become ritualistic or mundane, and so we, we begin to pass it off as just some sort of thing we just do, and okay, quick, let's take communion and service, and then let's move on. And that would be the totally improper way to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? 
And so in our effort to, to not make it mundane and stuff, I think, I think we've gone away from intentionally doing it as often as we can. But I come back to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. Whenever we do it. So whenever we choose to do it, let's make this important. And I would also say, maybe we take it a little bit further. In our relational environments, whenever you want to take communion together, you make it an important thing. You make it a moment with Christ. You make it a moment with the Holy Spirit where he can speak to us about forgiveness and our life in him. So let's take some of our intentional time and use it for communion as well. And then the last thing the believers did intentionally and that we should be doing as well is prayer. Prayer. What we see all throughout the New Testament is the church often and regularly just broke out into prayer meetings. Pentecost, the falling of the Holy Spirit, was a result of a simple prayer meeting. They prayed every day. They prayed all the time. Prayer was a regular part of the life of a Christian. And I want to contend that it needs to be a regular part of our life as well. I think we all know that talking and listening to God is one of the most important uses of our time. It's essential. The challenge is just doing it. The challenge is that in our busy American structure and style of life, how do I fit one more thing in? And I think if we're going to become intentional followers of Christ... We have to break out of some of the cultural structure and embrace biblical structure. And that will be a challenge as well. This will require time. I want to end this idea of prayer with a, a quote I found by Charles Spurgeon. And when I read it, it was, it was literally like a drop-the-mic moment. Charles Spurgeon said this about prayer. It's not a matter of time so much as a matter of heart. If you have the heart to pray, you will find the time. Hmm. Lord, help us to have a heart to pray. Amen. Give us a heart for prayer. Give us a heart for your presence. A heart for your word a heart to speak to you and listen to you, Lord. Make that our heart all the time. Let me end with a couple of application questions and, and then just uh, maybe, maybe a to-do homework moment. Let me ask the first one. What do you need to adjust in your time each day to become intentional about your faith? What do you need to adjust in your time every day to become intentional about your faith in Jesus? See, there's always something we can move around or something we can say no to to say yes to him. What do you need to give up or stop doing to use your time intentionally for Jesus? There's probably something in your day that you could stop doing for a little bit 
to add some more of Christ in. And then I wanted to give you like a, a step to do this work this week, a little homework that might help you begin the process of using your time intentionally. So I'm going to encourage you to do this. I'm going to encourage you to try something different this week for one day. Take one day and change the structure of that day. Okay? Now, you know there's two things or maybe more than two that you can't do without. Like, you know, you know you have to sleep, right? It's a requirement. You know you have to eat. You know you have to work. Or maybe you do it on a day off, so maybe you could take work out of it. Could be you can pick. You know you have to hang out with your wife and give her hugs and kisses. Amen. You know you got to love on your kids. Like, you know you've got some requirements. But with that extra time, structure your day differently. Like, just come up with a whole new structure for your day that, that's going to include teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, if you need help with that, let me remind you, God gave us a day for that. It's called the Sabbath. It's called Sunday. This day is supposed to be filled with what? Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. That means I might have to move some things around. I might have to DVR the Niners and watch them on another day so I do these four things, right? That might be something I say no to to say yes to more of Jesus. Whatever it is, I just want to encourage you to begin to use your time intentionally for Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we give you thanks for this series that we've been in that hasn't even just been another series of messages. It's been a conviction of our heart. It's a conviction of our heart and our mind and what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a church because we find it everywhere in your word. We find it everywhere in your word as an encouragement for us that we would be intentional people about living with and for the Holy Spirit. We'd be intentional about the resources that we manage for you, that we would be intentional about the relationships we have in our family and outside our family and in the church, and we would become intentional with our time. Lord, these things we believe are extremely important for every single one of us as we move forward in a world that is challenged with the corruption of sin and the challenges that it brings, that will require us as believers to become more intentional with our lives. Lord, I pray that this message would not be lost in us, that these messages would not just be another good thing we looked at for an hour or two, but that we would begin to live this way as believers, as we help people know, grow, and go for Jesus and live for him daily. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
It's great to see you this morning. And I just want you to know we're praying for you as a staff. We're just encouraged about what the Holy Spirit's doing in us as a church right now and what he's doing in you. And uh, I hope you have a great week. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So to Kate and I.